Welcome back to Australian Rotary Health's podcast called The Research Behind Lift the Lid. I'm Jessica Cooper and joining us today on episode 58 is Professor Melissa Green from the University of New South Wales. Melissa was awarded an Australian Rotary Health Mental Health Research Grant from 2017 to 2018 for her project called Determinants of Risk and Resilience in Maltreated Children Using Multi-Agency Administrative Records a population record linkage study. More broadly, Melissa's research uses methods from epidemiology, neuroscience, and genetics to understand life course risk for mental disorders. She's particularly interested in how stress and other social determinants of health increase risk for psychosis via biological or other mechanisms that may be observable in early life. So welcome to the podcast, Melissa. It's nice to see you. How's everything been going for you lately? Thanks, Jessica. I'm um, very well, thanks. And um, we're at a very exciting stage of our research at the moment with the third wave of linkage having recently been completed. And so that means we've now got longitudinal data for this uh, child cohort up to age 18 years. And that's really important for us in terms of being at a stage where we'll be able to see how our earlier profiles of risk or resilience are playing out in those adolescent years in terms of the emergence of mental disorders. So we're busily cleaning the new data and um, planning our priorities for analyses, but overall very excited. Yeah, yeah, that sounds very exciting. It'll be yeah, interesting to hear how all that goes. Um, I know that yeah, early intervention is something that Australian Rotary Health really holds dear. And you may have heard that we're actually switching our research focus now to the mental health of children aged between zero and 12. So since this is an area of interest for you, to start off, would you like to tell us why it might be important to look at early life experiences when considering the um, trajectory of mental illness? Sure. Yeah. And a good move with your funding, I'd say. Um, we know that the early years of life are when the brain undergoes the most rapid period of development. And that's when adaptive neural pathways are formed. So in other words, it's a crucial time for the brain and its wiring to support specific cognitive, emotional, and physical abilities that set the foundation for lifelong learning and social behavior and health. And so those early years are critical to that development of skills that support those capacities. Um, their capacities like just getting along with others and self-regulating, responding adaptively to the environment. Um, and importantly, those early years, um, in those early years, the experiences that a child has plays a huge role in shaping the brain and experiences can have genetic effects even in terms of silencing specific genes and therefore um, influencing the way in the brain develops. And many studies show that stress can permanently damage those um, brain developmental um, processes. So it's important that we do continue to understand how to promote the healthy development of all children during those early years to support their later mental health and well-being. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And, and your research project uh, looked at the, at the records of maltreated children to observe some of the patterns that, that, that there might be regarding risk and resilience. Could you tell us what your overall aims were with this research and what the study involved? Sure. 
Um, well, resilience has certainly become a bit of a buzzword in the community, and we do vaguely understand it as the capacity to respond favourably to adversity, but it's too often thought of as a thing that people have or don't have. You have resilience or you don't. And um, I think that's problematic because it's more likely that we all have capacity for resilience, but that it emerges over time as a way of responding to the environment um, that's influenced by a range of things, individual, family, family and contextual factors that would have different impact along, along the life course. Um, and so given that children that are exposed to early maltreatment are generally reported to have poor health and social outcomes, including a strong likelihood of getting mental illness later in life, this particular child population, those who are known to child protection services, is one that all Australian uh, government agencies are keen to assist to develop resilience. But we really know very little about how to promote resilience in those children. So in this study, we decided to focus on children who had been in contact with the child protection system to try to understand firstly, what proportion of them showed a developmental pattern of resilience in those early years of life. And secondly, if we could find children showing reverse, uh, uh, resilience to adversity, what kinds of things distinguish those children who show resilience after uh, experiencing some level of adversity. And we specifically focused on the period from early to middle childhood, so between age five and 11 years, because most studies of resilience in response to trauma have focused on the adolescent years, so much later in development. But we had available measures of social, emotional and cognitive functioning at two time points for these children when they were age five and beginning school and when they were age 11 finishing primary school. And so um, using those assessments in around 4,700 4, children, we looked at their um, functioning over time it, during that period to determine whether any children were looking quite good that they've, they've resilient functioning after that adversity. Yeah. Okay, and yeah, so, so what sort of findings came out of this research? Uh, well, one of the most heartening findings was that a significant proportion of these children who were known to child protection services uh, showed a profile of resilience, and that was around 65% of them during that transition between starting primary school and finishing primary school, they were doing okay. Um, and so to drill down on that a little more, there were 54% of the kids who actually showed a profile um, of stress resistance, meaning that they scored in the typically, typically developing range at both time points. It's as if these children just seem to coast along as normal, despite being known to the child protection system. And then there was a smaller group of kids that was around 13% of the population who showed a profile that we called emergent resilience. And that's because they did show some level of vulnerability at the first time point when they began school at age five. But by the time they were 11 years old, they seemed to have caught up to where they should have been in terms of their emotional and cognitive development. They were now scoring in that typically developing range, um, despite having had uh, some level of adversity in those years. And when we went further then, as I had mentioned, that our aim was to find out, are there any resilient children? And if there are, what's distinguishing them from the kids who are not showing resilience? 
We did find some distinctions, but we also found some common factors associated with either of those resilience profiles. And the common factors were that girls were more likely to be resilient and that children um, who showed personality characteristics of being open to experience and extroversion, they were also uh, associated with both resilience profiles. And I guess when you think about personality styles like that, they're of course a reflection of the way the child approaches the world and their capacity to integrate experiences and cope with their emotions. So it's important, I guess, that we do uh, understand these as important strengths that can be nurtured over time in a child to, to approach the world in this way. Um, but I'll just tell you a little bit also about the things that distinguished those two different resist, um, resilience profiles. So the stress resistance profile, the one that where children showed pretty much no problems across both of those time points, that was associated with being um, living in an area of higher socioeconomic status, um, also being from a non-Indigenous background. And the children in that profile also reported having a greater, uh, they perceived their support at home and at school to be greater than other children. By contrast, so the children showing that emergent resilience profile, they were, they were doing better by the time they reached age 11, they were actually just um, less likely to have been, ever been placed in out-of-home care or to have had a substantiated report. So they were probably exposed to less severe trauma. And that was in addition to the things I've already mentioned that were shared by the profiles, being a girl or having these personality characteristics of being openness, open to experience or being extroverted. Yeah, yeah, it's very interesting there and, and seeing the distinction, but I guess it's also very hopeful um, in, in the sense of having that emergence um, resilience as well. So it's not, it's not like these people aren't going to have resilience ever, but, you know, they, they might develop that later down Correct. the track. It's, exactly. I think it's a really positive and hopeful finding. Yeah, mm. yeah, absolutely. And what kind of implications do you think that this research may have for children's mental health and well-being in the future? Well, first, I do want to stress that the findings need to be interpreted with consideration of the limitations of these kinds of data, this linked population data. Obviously, this method has a lot of advantages, but there are some obvious limitations because we haven't been able to interview these children. Um, their identity isn't known to us when you do this kind of work. So we're just simply not aware of some of the factors that could be playing into their resilience, such as the quality of their relationships with their parents, their carers or their teachers or friends. And we don't know about their specific living circumstances. For example, are they living happily with both parents or are they split between two households? And so just wanted to provide that context before we launch into what this means, because there are several things we, we just don't know from this research. But if we're thinking about what this means, obviously at an individual level, I've talked about a child's personality style that's developed in those early years um, as seemingly playing a role here in having in, in contributing to their positive outcomes in the face of adversity. And so while a personality style is typically thought of as something that's intrinsic, they really are brought about by a combination of inherited and learned behavior. So I do believe it's still important to promote those kinds of qualities, those ways of approaching the world in very early childcare settings 
and interactions with caregivers at a very early age. Um, the other thing obviously that came out was ensuring that a child feels supported in school and at home uh, as something that can promote resilience. But I also wanted to add that on a theoretical level, these findings suggest that we shouldn't assume as, as is sometimes assumed, that resilience is a trait that you're born with or not. Um, the fact is that all humans are built to adapt. The brain will continue to wire itself according to your experience over your whole life course. And so we do need to think about ways of promoting resilience in the population at all stages of life, but especially in these early years. And if we can ensure that vulnerable families have supports, appropriate supports for their needs at these critical periods, things as simple as having access to stable housing and early education programs, that would contribute um, to building resilience in every child to set them up for dealing with the challenges that they will face in their lives. And then finally, remembering that all of the kids in this study were known to child protection services and they had various levels of adversity. Some had just had a report that was deemed not really significant, others put in out of home care. But the fact that 65% of them showed resilience in childhood suggests that potentially psychological challenges might even contribute to the development of resilience. And I mean, you can think about that just as the immune system responds to challenges to build up immunity, to biolog you know, biological immunity to certain conditions, maybe that's how the psychology works as well. And so the exciting thing about that is just because a child is, is um, exposed to some level of adversity, we shouldn't assume they are just headed down a, a negative path and a lifelong trajectory of poor health and well-being. Yeah, 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 that's so interesting. And yeah, it'll be interesting as well to see because um, you're you're continuing this research now with the with the older the, the kids being older, mm -hmm. the same the same group as well. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yep, we can follow yeah. them up now to see this these signs of resilience that we can see here. Hopefully it carries through to their adolescent years, but it will depend on what's happening in the intervening period. If they're still being exposed to abuse, well then potentially this sign of resilience, you know, we'll just see what, what, what it does. Um, yeah. I still think this is hopeful. We really didn't expect 65% of the population to show the resilience. Even the, the child protection services representatives that we were working with were also surprised and really happy about it. Yeah, well, yeah, it'll be definitely interesting to see what findings come out of that further research. Yeah. Um, and do you have any other publications that are in the works at the moment for this research that you've recently completed? Uh, well, definitely because of that new wave of data being available now, um, we are planning to follow up to see whether these early signs of resilience have carried forward into adolescent mental health and other outcomes. See, we can also investigate how the children perform in their educational assessments, on their NAPLAN um, assessments at school, um, but also broader social outcomes, such as whether they have been in contact with the police or the justice system, because those are all things that feed into poor health outcomes at the end of the day, mental health especially. Yeah. Yeah, well, I guess just one more thing. Um, and like the Rotary um, audience that listen to this, they, you know, they're behind supporting this research. If you could say one thing to our Rotary audience, um, what would it what would it be? Well, firstly, a massive thank you for your support 
um, because without this funding from Australian Rotary, we would not have been able to complete this research. I don't think people would be aware of how difficult the funding situation is for Australian researchers in mental health. There's increasingly a government strategy focused on research that can be commercialised. And besides that, we're also in fierce competition with other types of health conditions that are less stigmatised. And therefore, Rotary really is leading the way in filling the gap in funding for mental health research in Australia. And I do think it's just so important that we focus on the mental health of children because they're the future leaders of the country. So please support Rotary. This is a really important cause. Well, thanks so much, Melissa, for joining me today and sharing your research. Yeah, it was very interesting to hear all about the findings and, and what you're doing next. Was there anything else that you wanted to add before we wrap up today? Oh, thanks, Jessica. Thanks so much for having me. Um, maybe just a reminder that the mental health of the population really leads to the mental wealth of the country. And with all the challenges that Australia is facing at the moment, we certainly need everybody to reach their full potential and contribute to building resilient communities. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much again. Thank you. That was the 58th episode of our podcast called The Research Behind Lift the Lid. It's always so inspiring to hear what researchers in Australia are doing to make a difference to mental health and how they are helping us on our mission to lift the lid on mental illness. If you can, please support important mental health research like Melissa's by donating on the Australian Rotary Health website. Thank you for listening. Please join us again next time.